The Guardian. The Guardian has partnered with audible.co.uk to offer listeners a free audiobook when you sign up for a one-month no-commitment trial of the Audible service. Audible has over 50,000 audiobook titles available to download. Go to guardian.co.uk/audible for further details. This is the business podcast. I'm Tom Clark. If you're starting to get Eurozone crisis fatigue, you can be sure you're not the only one. Summit after summit has been called to solve the world's most pressing economic problem, and the outcome's been the same every time. We need another summit. But the markets are running out of patience, and Greece is running out of money. Europe is running out of time. This week, the 27 leaders meet once more to hammer out a deal. And on the table are three huge issues. One, how to bail out Greece and avoid an uncontrolled default. Two, how to shore up Europe's banks, still exposed to the sovereign debts of Greece and the other troubled European economies. And three, how to increase the European Union's bailout fund to ensure that the authorities have the rescue funds that they need in order to prevent the crisis spreading from Greece to, say, Italy, Spain and then God knows where else. Joining me here in the studio, we have The Guardian's banking expert, Jill Trainer, and following all of this from Brussels, The Guardian's David Gow. And with them both is Larry Elliott, who is the economics editor of the paper as well. A warm welcome to all three of you. So, Jill... Let's start with Greece. Back in the summer, the official line, I think, was that for Athens to renege on any of its debt was unthinkable. And yet even then, investors were asked to give up a fifth or so of what they'd what they'd lent. Now there's press stories about a much bigger hit on private bondholders. Is reality finally starting to come to the surface in these talks? Well, essentially, what you're seeing now is that people are saying uh, that Greece essentially should be allowed to not pay back about 60% of its debt. It, it, it's, it's not quite as straightforward as that, and I hate to introduce this word haircut, but it's essentially the loss that is imposed on bondholders. What was happening in July is that eventually there was this idea that bondholders would take a 21% uh, loss on bonds they hold on Greece. Now the idea is it will be 60%. That 60% number is interesting in the fact that this is actually kind of where Greek bonds are trading in the market anyway. So it is actually a far more realistic interpretation of what the market thinks Greece is able to pay back. So it is some sort of sense of realism about the about where the market thinks Greece is in its ability to pay back its debt. What the market's trying to do is desperately avoid Greece refusing to pay its debt. What the market wants to happen is to come to a way where they can agree that Greece doesn't pay its debt. What everybody wants to avoid is a disorderly default. What they want to happen is for there to be an orderly default, which makes the bondholders feel more in control. But Larry, this is semantics, isn't it? I mean, it's voluntary. If, if a mugger asks for your wallet and you, you give it, in a sense, that's a voluntary you've decided, you could, you could argue. Yeah, Greece is a classic example of the fact that if you owe the bank £100, you've got a problem. If you owe the bank £10 million, the bank's got a problem. So Greece is actually in a position where it can't pay its debts. Everybody knows it can't. It's it's got a sort of its national debt as a proportion of its of, of its annual output is something like 170 percent. So you know it, the interest payments on that are something like 10 percent of GDP a year. Um, in the UK's case, that would be something like you know 150 billion pounds. So it's the equivalent of just 
in more than the health service. More than the health service, pay, paying off adjusted debt interest payments. So it's completely unpayable for Greece, and everybody knows it. Um, so it, it's, it's slightly semantics, but um, in the end, the, the bondholders are going to have to take a big loss because the alternative is just too terrible to contemplate, which is that Greece just says one day we're not going to pay our debts, as Argentina did 10 years ago. And this is not just a case of Argentina in taste of the Eurozone. What would happen then would be there'd be a cascade across the entire southern uh, crescent of the Eurozone as, 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 every, as the market said, well, if Greece is defaulted, which country is going to be next? And so there would be a mass stampede for the exits. That's, that's the problem. That's why, there has to be a, that's why there has to be some sort of resolution. The first thing that has to happen at this summit, there has to be a resolution to the Greece, Greek crisis. If Greece just said, sod it, we're not paying our debts, one question people sometimes ask is, well, would it really have to leave the euro? Couldn't it just stay in the euro despite that? Obviously, it would have to pay more to borrow in the future. Well, strictly speaking, countries are not allowed to default as part of the terms of monetary union, though I don't think, and David may well know more about this than I do, but I, I don't think there's any mechanism um, been instituted for throwing a country out. I think it would cause some sort of constitutional crisis within the Eurozone. Correct. Um, if, if Greece suddenly one day over a weekend said, by the way, we're going back to the Gratmar, uh, uh, you know, we, we are, we are going to default on our debt. The, 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 or we're staying in the Euro. Or, 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 we're, or we're trying, yeah. and we would like to stay in the Euro at the same time. I think some members of the Eurozone would say, um, well, that's not on, but I don't think anybody has, has, has worked out how that would happen. And so you'd be in an anarchic situation. Oh, it'd you? be absolute chaos, obviously, in those circumstances, yeah. So, David, um, one of we're talking here about how much pain these um, unfortunate individuals and banks who've bought Greek debt are going to have to bear. One thing we're picking up is there's an argument, is there, over in Europe between the French and the Germans about that. Can you explain a bit about that? Yeah, uh, in the sense that the, the French... Uh, because the, all these three issues that you've talked about, they're all sort of interlinked, including you know the, the scale of the losses, the write downs we're talking about, and the and the boosting the boost of the fund, because the fund is also supposed to help uh, recapitalise the banks uh, and so on. So all of these things are all kind of linked together. And the key thing for the French is a that their their many of their banks are in fact very quite seriously exposed, uh, not just in Greece actually, but in particular to Italy and Spain. And they are, but Sarkozy is absolutely desperate to save his country's AAA credit rating. And if they get, if they have to take too big a, a loss, you know, and and so on, the uh, the French are absolutely terrified that they're going to lose that. Okay, so they've got different pressures. How do you think it's going to resolve, though? Do you think Sarko and um, Merkel are sort of, um, are we seeing the whites of their eyes to the point where they will just agree something, agree a, a, a percentage haircut? Well, I think the point, the, the, the extraordinary thing which is going on now is, is that, um, well, several things, of course. One is, one is that Italy has now uh, become more than Greece, actually, frankly. Italy has now become the real problem child. And Berlusconi, you know, on, on Sunday, Saturday night, Sunday morning, he was told by Merkel and Sarkozy, look, you're going to get your act in order. You're the one who could bring the whole edifice down. So you've got to come forward with some convincing reforms to get your debt down, to get your economy going. And now he's having this enormous problem in Rome. There's even talk, I mean, I've seen uh, coming out of Rome of him, Frank resigning, actually, and uh, having to put in a sort of technical government. So there's that issue. The other issue, which is exercising a lot of people here, is the fact that Merkel tomorrow at 12 o'clock European time, Central European time, is going to address the Bundestag, give her you know, a government statement to the Bundestag on boosting the EFSF. And, and, and all the related elements of the package. So the question being asked here is, 
Is she going to tell them everything and then get them to vote? Are they going to plane to, to Brussels and go into the, uh, the council building across the road from our office and tell them, this is what we've decided, so please sign here, please? This is, gonna, this is play like going down like a lead balloon, because everybody knows that Germany's calling the shots. But to do it in this kind of naked way is causing an absolutely enormous sort of fight behind the scenes. God, so um, for a start, you're saying that Europe is dependent on um, the sanity of Silvio Berlusconi, which is never a pretty place to be. And secondly, you're saying now that the German court, isn't it, has said that there has to be such a prescriptive link between yeah. what the Chancellor negotiates and what she tells the Parliament, that her is her hands going to be very tied? Or are there a lot of Euro... I mean, we've got British Eurosceptics in the news this week, but are there are a lot of German Eurosceptics, if you like over there who are going to be telling her, you know, you're not allowed to put in another euro? Well, I mean, there is some of that. But actually, frankly, the, uh, there are about something like 15 people within her, within her own party who, are, who could vote against her, I think. And then there's, uh, there are people within the liberal, you know, the liberals, funnily enough, you know, the FDP, who are tempted by the kind of Eurosceptic route. But fundamentally, she can rely. She can rely on the opposition, the Social Democrats and the Greens, in particular. To so, it's not a question of, of her not getting a majority. The question is whether she gets what they call her own majority, which is, you know, the majority of her party and the FDP and the uh, Bavarian Christian Social Union put together. So that's the real. That's a, that's the problem there. Striking uh, parallel. Now, whether there's going to be. Uh, you asked about the prospects of a deal. What we're picking up now is, uh, in this sort of febrile atmosphere here, is that the the, the uh, finance ministers, ECOFIN as it's called, so that would be the 27, would meet tomorrow morning at 9am uh, Brussels time to try and conclude this deal which you're talking about, or what, uh, what our colleagues have been talking about, which is to do with the orderly default for Greece. And then they would go into a, a summit of the 27 at around about 6 o'clock. Is that and heads then, of, of heads course, they have another summit. And the one that really counts would, be then, would then go on afterwards. God, so we started here saying that every summit had produced another summit, and it sounds like we're guaranteed at least more of that. But, Jill, what about the, the banks? We know that some of them are exposed, that there's talk of French banks having to be bailed out. Do you think this is really like 2008, or is it a different sort of problem as far as the banks are concerned? The way I try and tell it to myself is it feels slightly different to 2008. In, in, that in 2008, we didn't know what banks owned of anything. We didn't, right. have any, we, we didn't have any level of transparency about what banks owned. And at the time, the real big thing at the time was, do they hold these CDOs that nobody ever knew what they were, these complex financial instruments? What was going to happen when they imploded? We also didn't know really what their exposure was to property companies around the world, which is actually what caused a lot of the problems in the last crisis. This time... It's a problem about who owns whose sovereign debt. And this time we can at least see who owns whose debt. So because it's more soluble, more simple. It's better and it's worse, I think, it, it, don't you think? It's better, it's, it's, it's better in the sense, as Jill's just explained, that they've got, everybody knows where the, where the bodies are lying, but it's uh-huh. worse in the fact that the implications of it all goes it, wrong. It, are, are, are horrendous. Are horrendous. Yeah. Well, but one of the things I think is interesting, and, and uh, this is something that Lord Turner told the Observer in an interview this weekend, is what nobody really foresaw when the euro was created, was that banks in each part of the eurozone would actually end up owning their own country's debt. It wasn't spread out across the eurozone, really, to the extent that you might think it was. So Greek banks have ended up sitting on most of Greece's debt. Is it so, a force of habit, then? So, well, of course think, it is, yeah. because, because, in fact, your nation-state encourages you to buy your own debt. But it means, essentially, that Greek banks will probably be, have to be nationalised in the next 
48 hours or so if this haircut happens. So will banks in Cyprus. The, you asked about France particularly. The boss of the central bank in France, uh, Christian Neuer, is saying that he thinks French banks need about 10 billion euros. One of the reasons he can say that is that French banks are actually doing, taking radical action to scale back the size of their businesses. They're scaling back their balance sheets. They're talking about reducing lending, getting rid of all the risky stuff they did to make their balance sheets as small as possible and keep their capital ratios down. So there's another big thing happening here in the Eurozone is that if you can't make your banks strong, you can't make them lend, you can't make your economies grow. So we're getting ourselves into a big cyclical argument about are we bailing out the banks for the banker's sake or for the economy's sake? I mean, in the context of the silly numbers that get thrown around in these um, discussions, Larry, the 10 billion there for French banks doesn't sound too terrifying. But maybe what does sound terrifying is the idea they're going to stop lending to anyone who's taking any sort of risk. Isn't this a recipe for a new depression? Well, that's what people mean by sort of shrinking their balance sheets and they, they, they lend far less money and therefore the whole sort of credit system's grinds grinds down and then you end up with what we're getting in the UK which is this flow of money to private sector companies diminishes and you get a much lower level of activity I think the the, 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 what the French would like to see happen is for the ECB to step in here and effectively just say we will print as much money as it takes to buy up the bonds of all these troubled countries and essentially just scare the markets into submission essentially that's what the that's what the French would like to see happen they don't actually want to put that much more French money into the bailout fund because that would affect France's AAA rating and France is very worried about it. and the Germans have two problems with that one is that more and more countries seem to be taking money out of the FSF than putting money into it and, and and France itself, as bond yields have started to um, um, go up in recent days, and the Germans sort of think, well, eventually there's only going to be one country really putting any serious dosh into this pot, and that's us. That's the first thing. I mean, the second thing is that the Germans have you know, a real fear, which goes back to 1923 and wheelbarrows of cash being wheeled through the streets, is of just the central bank being asked to print large, large numbers of banknotes. I mean, to the Germans, that speaks of inflation, hyperinflation, and so on. So the Germans are instinctively opposed to that and that's why there's a real rift between Sarkozy and Merkel normally the two of them can be relied upon to come to some sort of deal which they can then try and get through the rest of the uh, of the eurozone this time there is a fundamental problem which is that the French and the Germans have a completely different view about how this bailout should work and um, the, and, and the difficulty I think with this summit is that it may well end up like all the last summits which is that it solves the problems of the last war and never actually gets ahead of the problem that's all that's been the history of this crisis right from the start that Europe has always tended to react to the problem three months ago rather than the problem as it is today and that's what the markets really want more than anything else, which is the, a sense that Europe has once and for all got ahead of the game and is actually uh, is actually prepared to take those decisions. But you know, that that probably requires, to, probably does require the ECB to show a willingness to actually face down the markets. I think that probably the French are right in their analysis that that, that, that you know what would really. Um, bring down Italian bond yields and bring down Spanish bond yields would be m- maybe not even the ECB actually turning on the printing presses, but just the threat of them doing so might be enough to say, to, 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 to spook, calm, to calm, well, to, to frighten the markets, essentially. Do you, do, would you know, it's a sort of Clint Eastwood uh, situation. Do you feel lucky? Do you feel, do, do you feel lucky enough to take on the, the, you know, one of the biggest central banks in the world? The, the answer, big printing press. Yeah. Uh, just very briefly, Larry, do you think that the European Central Bank 
because one of the things that's come up again and again in these discussions is there's no treasury it's there on its own at the european level has it got the autonomy if it could agree amongst the bureaucrats who run it to to do that or would the individual i don't think it could do i mean david again would know this i mean i don't think the ecb could do that without a firm instruction from the euro group i think if the euro group were to instruct the new president of the of the ecb to buy up as many bonds as it required to stop this crisis then the, it, ultimately the people who run the ecb are the are the governments of the of the 17 members and they they would have to they would have to obey i think in those circumstances but they wouldn't be able to just one day turn up in frankfurt and say by the way we're going to do this and we don't really care what the <laughs> what what the sovereign states say but i think if if it got through a european summit or it was agreed at a, a european political level then the ecb would do it and so david do you think this idea that it still needs a, a political counterweight, if you like, a European treasury. It's been talked about a lot. Do you think that's really on the table for this week? No, not for this week, certainly not. Uh, what we do know, because this all goes back into the, you know, last night's uh, fairly kind of tumultuous scenes that you had in the House of Commons, they are talking about coming up with some ideas which will be discussed at their uh, summit in uh, December. That's what Herman van Rompuy the uh, European Council president has been asked to go away and do. There is a clear sense, you're right, absolutely, that they, you know, a, a Treasury or a European finance minister or something of that order it will be coming down the tracks. But, of course, that then also uh, raises huge sort of questions about uh, how much you can do all this without changing the treaties. And once you change the treaties, then you're into another, you know, you're into a kind of intergovernmental conference or a convention, and three or four years of, of um, you know, of argument and counter-argument. And going back to Larry's point, uh, I mean, I think if the if political instruction came to the ECB and Draghi just having got there was seen to sort of bow to it, you know, because he's got to, the, Mario Draghi the Italian who takes over on the 1st of November, I think they would not do, I think if they were to do it, they wouldn't do it without a fight. And particularly, you could imagine the Germans on that board, on the governing council, would be saying, you know, over our dead bodies, the constitution doesn't allow it. And there would be a huge fight, and the German constitutional court would be, you know, would be involved yet again. So we're in a, you know, frankly, we're in kind of absolutely unknown territory here. Okay, try and take a step back and think, David, what is the best that you could reasonably hope a Thursday morning newspaper would have as its headline? If, if everyone, you know, goes the extra mile and tries to get a proper deal. Well, I think that would be what it is. I mean, I think that what you'd get would be precisely, you know, a headline saying, you know, you know, Europe, uh, last minute deal to rescue Eurozone. I think that's what, that's what the markets are looking for. That's what the politicians are hoping to get, whether they can actually get there or not. I mean, I think it's just too, frankly, for all the messages we're getting out here, this meeting's going on. Uh, even around my office or around our office, you know, where we know for a fact that the, no deal has yet been struck. Crikey. OK, Jill, what about the worst case then? <laughs> the not very convincing best case there from David? Well, I mean, I, I actually I actually have to be honest with you, it, it, it's that everybody I speak to in the sort of policymaking arena is just so totally only capable of talking about the fact that sensible solutions will be found in the Eurozone to this problem that I actually fear that 
uh, that nobody wants to think the actual unthinkable is that there isn't a solution. So but you think there isn't one? It's well, not... no, no. I mean, I, I think that. Well, I suppose what I'm trying to say to you is, if you speak to policymakers in this, based in London, and yeah. say, you know, so what's going to happen, you know, in the eurozone? They say, oh, well, don't worry, they'll sort themselves out. I mean, nobody. I suppose what I'm trying to say is, nobody wants to think that the European leaders won't find a way around this. And I guess that's the danger is that, <laughs> you know, is that as David says, a deal isn't done now and these meetings are due to start in what, you know, 24 hours or But whatever. could you have another massive market mayhem day on Thursday, Friday? As, as the... This is a totally personal opinion. And my opinion is that the markets are very, very calm at the moment. They're treading water because everything is looking at Wednesday or Thursday morning it'll yeah. be by the time it happens. Yeah. Uh, you know... To me, markets, looking back at what we wrote about in October 2008, there was a massive rally the day after Gordon Brown announced a bailout for Britain's banks. It didn't last mm. because the market started to realise, actually, we don't really know what this is about. Now, I guess if we get that headline, David was just saying, you know, last minute deal, we get a nice rally on Thursday and everybody's happy. And then the reality sets in again. I mean, I don't know, though, because I'm absolutely useless at predicting what markets do. Well, you'd be out making money, maybe, if you if you, if you knew what they'd do. Um, I mean, I suppose it sounds like from what you're saying there is London is relying on the rest of the euro to get its ducks in a row, which is, of course, easier because London is not part of this one. The obstructionist <laughs> play part it normally plays in these European deals. But, Larry, do you think the eurozone can come together and rebuild or half rebuild Rome in a day? No, absolutely not. I mean, Europe has got some deep-seated economic problems of growth and competitiveness of the, of the, of the countries on the periphery, uh, and those are not going to be resolved even if we do get answers to the three big questions of Greece, bank capital and the bailout fund. That, those, those are not going to be resolved overnight. I have to say, though, that if the markets are unconvinced that this is a serious attempt to sort things out in the short term there will be mayhem in the markets over the next two or three months mm. I, mean, I think that's absolutely definitely two or three days or just two or three months? no i don't think it'll be I, i'm with jill i think that probably the market reaction initially will be positive there'd be relief that there's some assuming there's some sort of deal but i think what will happen is the markets will then start to unpick it and say does does this you know this one trillion 1.5 trillion two trillion bailout fund really add up to a hill of beans when you when you start to analyze it who's actually putting up serious money here and i think that the fact is that the next three months are going to be incredibly tough economically for europe and for britain anyway europe is already i think heading for recession probably so, in recession probably in recession so you've got this sort of pole backdrop to this being some terrible economic numbers coming out the markets are going to look at this bailout package and say is it too little, too late? I think probably they will eventually work, come to that conclusion. So I think this crisis is going to is going to rumble through into the new year. And the, and the basic problem really is that you know there does need to be some sort of political resolution to this crisis in terms of where does Europe want to go? Does it want to integrate more? Or does it want to break up? But if it wants to, then the politics take place at a much much slower pace than the economics do, and, and, and particularly the way the markets do. So, I mean, Dave is right. You know, if you wanted to get um, really big treaty changes for a new European finance minister, that would mean a big intergovernmental conference followed by a referendum in quite a lot of countries. You're talking probably 18 months, two years minimum to get all those changes. Yeah, more like four, Larry. Pro probably four. Yeah, I mean, I'm yeah. just saying, I mean, and, and, you know, let's face it, this crisis has gone from from serious to incredibly acute to critical in the last 18 months so um, if, if if that that is that is the reality here and I think you know there, there are there, you know as I said before there are really only three ways out of this one is you carry on bumbling along and hope that the problem goes away clearly not going to secondly you 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 know you integrate Europe 
more uh, and make monetary union buttressed by a political union, or you or you sit back and let the thing um, disintegrate. Those are really, I, th- I think, those are really the only solutions, uh, or the only way, uh, only way of seeing um, an end to this. And and none of them look particularly, none of them look particularly nice. I mean, uh, prob- probably the breakup of the euro would be the most severe in terms of its impact on the on the on, on the wider economy, including the UK. Well. If you're feeling strong enough emotionally to take any more of this sort of doom and gloom, you can follow it all on our business live blog at guardian.co.uk forward slash business. But um, that's it for this week. So my thanks to David Gale, to Jill Trainer, and to Larry Elliott. The producer was Phil Maynard. I'm Tom Clark, and thanks very much for listening. The Guardian has partnered with audible.co.uk to offer listeners a free audiobook when you sign up for a one-month no-commitment trial of the Audible service. Audible has over 50,000 audiobook titles available to download. Go to guardian.co.uk audible for further details.